0: Hey, welcome to the Vox Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Timothy John Stafford, Michael carr Leary coming at you mid-May, the year of our Lord, 2021. Uh, Tim and I are, um, man, we're excited uh, for our episode today. We've got a couple of uh, things we want to respond to. Then we have an interview with D.L. Mayfield, Danielle. And um, she, I, I discovered her through an article Tim sent me last year yeah. Uh, that was like, I lost my religion at a worship event uh, or something <laughs> like that. Religious news service picked it up. But she was she she was, with that Sean guy. She went to one of those Well, she uh, went events. to go
1: protest the Sean Foyt, uh, let a, what is his thing? Let Us Worship.
0: Right. Uh, event As opposed to tomato worship. Yes.
1: And uh, um, I saw that article popped up and I saw her picture. And I was like, I, pretty, I think I know her. And yeah. I figured out that I did. After I sent the article to you guys, like, wait a second.
0: Because um, you actually know her sister, right?
1: Yeah. we. I mean, she, when I moved down to L.A., she, her sister had also moved down there. And then she ended up being roommates with um, friends of ours. And so we've kind of just, like, stayed in each other's orbits over the last yeah. 20 yeah. years or so.
0: But, yeah, yeah, Danielle. So it's a great interview. Danielle really pushes hard on what, is, what does love your neighbor actually mean? Can you... Yeah. Can, can we be joyful if our neighbors are not flourishing? Yeah. Um, so she's really she's was, was like she's really pushing um, uh, the church to think about how seriously we're going to take that. Yeah. So <laughs> I love that. Love it. Love it. Love it. And and she she's in the middle of just sort of grieving the state of the church and yet is so it's it's a really interesting place she's in. She wrote a book called The Myth of the American Dream. Yeah. So you had us right there. Um, <laughs> and I'll and put a talk, link to
1: it in the show notes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We talk about it a little bit, but it's more, more her sort of, as so many of us have, starting from a very, very conservative subculture and then opening up to the world and realizing, oh, that subculture was way too narrow. Um, and then you yeah. go to the Bible and you're like, oh, I don't even know a lot of the subculture was there either. Yeah. Um, so we're just fans of those stories and she is, she, she puts her money where her mouth is. She is like hardcore living, uh, what it is to love your neighbor. So we were excited to, to, yeah. And at the the end you
1: asked her about what gives her hope and I was thinking about it while she was answering. And I think the answer for me, and I didn't want to say this because I didn't want to make her feel awkward, but I think people like her are what give me hope about the church. Like. These people who are like, I don't the the disruptors are, yeah. They historically seem super important to me, and and how they've kind of kept, pull, like sometimes grabbing the church by the face and pulling it back to face towards Jesus. You know, like sometimes it's sometimes it's very physical, and sometimes. But I I just watching people like her that are like wrestling so hard with uh, what Jesus had to say about what this life is, the intent of this life and, and coming up with these, like this, I just keep wrestling with this and I keep coming up with, we're not doing it. Right. And that kind of stuff yep. is, it gives me, it doesn't make me, um, sad. It, it actually gives me a lot of hope that there's people like her and Shane and different people yeah. that are, have the dirt under their nails. They're just like, we're just yeah. gonna keep doing this no matter what, like this yeah. is a lifelong journey. We're going to keep digging, keep digging, keep digging. So,
0: well, there's a quote from D.L. Moody. So Moody Bible Institute was named after D.L. Moody. was a very famous, I guess, evangelist. But at least the quote's attributed to him. Who knows if it's if it's true? But somebody was criticizing his methods, and he just his response was, "I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it." Oh. And, um, <laughs> and so, you know. Like like Danielle and Shane, um, I understand the Christian community is gonna, you know, go what, um, but I like their way of doing it better than our way of not engaging at all on some yeah. of these things. Absolutely. So um, so anyway, so we've got we've got that. I want to thank uh, I want to thank Philip and I want to thank Chase and I want to thank my friend Lynn. Um, for coming on the Patreon team this week. Thank you so much for that. (laughs) Um, Seriously, the show is sponsored by you. And so, man, we're just always honored to uh, be able to say thank you to people. So we appreciate that very much. Uh, If you go to patreon.com and type in Vox Podcast or Mike Erie, um, you can find us there or go to voxpodcast.com. Yep, we still have a new name. Uh, and somebody guessed, and it was a great guess uh, that it was Vox Angelus, which, which I is thought I which like is, it. <laughs> it's genius because it's voice of angels yeah. is what it means. And and I thought that was that that was that was really really good. But that's not it. It's not it. We had a meeting this week about um, our hardcore rolling out of new name and website. We're trying to time that to. Around our 300th episode, which is not far. Not far at all. So, this is 296. Holy moly. So, it's very soon. <laughs> um, yeah, but they said that about the second coming of Jesus, too. And look how long that took. So That's true. I don't know. Episode
1: 300 is going to come like a thief in the night.
0: You won't <laughs> see it. <laughs> all right. So, I... Man... We talked uh, uh, we read Jennifer's email um last week about uh tools for reconstruction, and then we said, "Hey, what does our community think and i I have a ton of responses um for for people who are just so graciously responding um so so Jennifer emailed us back um Because I didn't have... I tried to email her, and her email bounced back. But she emailed us and said, Thank you for answering my question. Uh, Hearing your own words reverberate through someone else hits different, and I cried. Also, I'm huge on community and unity, so calling for the community resources also really touched my heart, which is super cool because then the community, not surprisingly at all to Tim and I... (laughs) responds with massive email participation. And and I can't read all of these because it would take literally the whole episode um, to read these because there are so many. Here, Here's, I, so I just picked out a few. Uh, here's one. Disclaimer, right? This is in response. Disclaimer, right. I'm an idiot. I'll read one page from N.T. Wright, hardly understand it, and walk away thinking I'm the fount of knowledge my social circle needs to drink from. Again, <laughs> idiot. I love this. I love this person. Luckily, I'm a Stafford-level introvert and keep my fount to myself for the most part. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, given that I was not carrying around an answer for our sister without shelter, but I will share what just came to me. Perhaps it's not from me, but through me. Our sister is not without shelter. She is covered by Jesus. The way out of the wreckage was in her question. It's love. Uh, the rest is commentary, but keep loving God and others, and you'll realize you're not sitting on the foundation of some demolished building, but on the very foundation you were called to build your life on. Oof. Um, yep. Exchange those broken bricks, man-made mortar for Jesus and his call to love. Love it. Boom. Can't Can't go wrong with that.
1: That introverts just share their fount more often.
0: (laughs) Just on email. Um, So this is uh, from a a young lady who says, To Jenny, um, I've learned to redefine it not as deconstruction, but as refining. Hmm. Um, I'm simply letting Christ remove all of the dross, which is a kind of metalworking image. The tradition, culture, incorrect theology, and interpretation of scripture, patriarchy, and so on. And I want to leave I want to leave the dross behind or leave I get rid of the dross and leave behind his purity of love and life to rebuild a foundation to stand on. I'm no longer interested in the walls the church built. So awesome. seeing a theme. Yeah, um, I love
1: these like responding to metaphors with different metaphors.
0: Totally. Oh, it's so great. So um uh, this is from someone I've been walking through the spiritually homeless journey for the last four or five years. Uh, but, but getting to Jennifer's question here, are a few ways that I've been able to start piecing uh, together my faith. Soul deep friendships. Hmm. Friends you can share the deepest truths and weep with. Yeah. Trusted sources. Um, curious question askers that remain committed to Jesus. Um, and he gives like Holy Post, Vox, when we had Sabota on Taking long walks and working with my hands, Uh, getting back to basics. I've been on a twenty-four month deep dive on the Sermon on the Mount, giving myself permission to move slowly and deliberately. I think that's a huge one. Yeah, slow, (laughs) slow, and low. Disconnecting from social media, including those that have deconstructed. He said, "It's er, or he, yeah, he. It has not been helpful to compare my journey to others." Yeah. So that's interesting. And never That's is. interesting. Most importantly, focusing on Jesus and his words. It's more about disassociating Jesus from organized religion's addictive or additive uh, teachings and culture. As I heard Jennifer's beautiful analogy, the first thing I thought was that the picture of building with bricks makes me think of building walls. I agree with Tim that the idea of structures is not the most helpful. As I reconstruct, I like to think of the process of building a table. Come on, metaphors upon hey metaphors. Yo. <laughs> hey, yo. And then this one, this one is one, two, three, four, five paragraphs, pretty thick. So I'm not, I'm not going to read much, although she said, um, she really resonated with the quote, I don't need someone to teach me how to be a better Christian. I need someone to teach me how to be a better human. Yeah. And for her, she read a book called As Kingfisher's Catch Fire. This was from uh, Eugene Peterson. It was one of the last books he kind of edited. Eugene Peterson is a very famous old school pastor. This is this is the guy who looked upon the American... I'm, I'm speaking. This is not her. Uh, looked upon American megachurch culture and said, guys, the word pastor doesn't apply here. But he would so say this it is- like, guys, the
1: pastor doesn't belong here.
0: He has <laughs> totally. the quietest voice quietest voice but an older guy anyway she read this book and it and it like was like hearing the good news for the first what was time it's king as king fisher's catch fire okay eugene wrote the message translation of the bible mm-hmm. or the paraphrase of the bible and she talks about just how helpful that book was but here's the thing she says Eugene does not push a system, a philosophy, a concept. I would never have known he was Presbyterian had he not mentioned it in his church title. I could not have labeled him conservative, liberal in beliefs or politics. He's does to talk about who in, who's in or who's out. He limits his teaching, morality, and expands to so many other ways of being a person. And that's true. His work is really amazing. I just finished his biography and um, would highly recommend his works. So, I mean, that's just a sampling of uh, some of the responses we got. Uh, So Jennifer, love it. I know how fun, man. How great to be a part of this community. So Jennifer, hope that helps. Um, uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to turn it over to Mike and Tim, two of the best interviewers, really. Those guys Um, are good. We're big fans of them, and I appreciate uh, their conversation. Yeah, they just have a lot, lot to the. They bring a lot to the table, but mostly they're bringing Danielle Mayfield today <laughs> to the table. So, you know, she just set things on fire, and Mike and Tim just go, hmm. Mm-hmm, so anyway, yeah. I hope you enjoy the interview. We'll talk to you next episode. Hey everybody! We have the great privilege today to be talking with Danielle Mayfield. She goes by DL on the socials, and her author name uh, DL Mayfield. But we get to call her Danielle. Is that right, Danielle? Can we call you that? Yeah, please. Um, uh, And and you are in Portland, am I correct at this Mm -hmm. very moment? Mm hmm. And it looks like it looks like there's sunshine
2: perhaps. Yes. Yeah. The way my room's set up right now, you can see the light coming in. It's like a really beautiful week in Portland, but we are getting rain again Good. in a couple of days, Good. which is fine because you know the West Coast is in a drought, so we need the rain. This is
0: true. And, and you share something in common with our very own Tim Stafford. Uh, I'd love to explore that. Tim, do you want to step in here? What was it about Danielle that caught our attention um, last year?
1: what caught our attention or what the connection is
0: well let's we we'll both well i thought they were related tim so uh, well i guess so they were we... will
1: start with i'll start with the, so daniel you probably don't remember this but we both grew up in the same town that i currently have moved back to the good old auburn california and you guys your i think it was your dad's church if i'm correct and you guys had a little music venue called the Fishbowl, is that right?
2: The fishbowl. <laughs> oh right? my gosh. So yes. I was a
1: I was a youth pastor at that time, and we would go watch shows there, and um, I did a lock-in at my church. A lock-in. And I had a band called Agnes United play <gasps> at the lock-in. So this is 20, I don't know how long ago. This is a while ago. Oh. But we did a lock-in for those who have not lived in youth ministry land is literally the title you lock all the youth in the church overnight and you just such do, a
2: good idea yeah yeah, yeah. what such could go wrong yeah
1: i've had broken bones i've had all sorts of crazy things happen at those but yeah we locked in and we were playing games and goofing off watching movies all night but we i was like we're gonna have live music i'm getting this band to come in here we are gonna play. get the
2: best band of northern <laughs> yep. california
1: so it was With you a and your sister, year old bass
2: player. And,
1: yeah, you and your sister and two others, if I remember correctly. Yep.
2: Yep. Yep. So uh,
1: we go way back.
2: Wow. So this is great because I I talk a little bit sometimes here and there about how when I was thirteen I started an evangelical punk rock band. Uh <laughs> And people are like, that's not true. And now here you are. You're corroborating. You have proof evidence. Now, we don't have any. Thankfully, we don't have any video evidence. We don't have (laughs) any musical evidence because here's the deal. I was a missionary. I was a terrible bass player. Our music was terrible, but we were there to evangelize the youth groups, which, you know, looking back is hilarious. Let's go. Let's go evangelize the people who are in a lock-in in a youth group. But I feel great. I feel great about myself, you know? Uh, yep. It was a big confidence booster for me as a 13-year-old. But Hey, you know. I thought
1: we were doing something special because we were one of the only churches that was having, like, a little punk band come and play. So we were all
0: pushing yeah. boundaries as much as we could. Yeah, wow. it's still a lock-in, but it's a lock-in with a punk band.
2: With punk? Yeah. And, like, really, you know, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the reason we love punk is because you only need to know three notes and you got yep. punk. You know what I mean? Yep. yep. And like Christians can be punks too. I remember the newspaper in Auburn did a story on us and I was like quoted as saying Christians can be punk rockers too. And I just felt <laughs> so, like I've never felt prouder. I I'm still chasing that high to this day. You know, the Auburn newspaper. I love it. How's Auburn now?
1: Auburn is very different than, um, when you were here, it's, as anything, it's it's kind of boomed with. It's become real popular. Everyone from the Bay Area <gasps> is moving here, and there's a bunch of like there's like a real artistic culture, and um, housing prices are through the roof, and it's very crowded.
2: <laughs> oh, okay, that's that's really interesting to me. It was pretty yep. burnt out when I lived there.
1: No, yeah, it's done. It's got a whole new flavor now.
0: We call okay. it Flavor Town, right, Mike? Oh boy, yep, sure, Guy Fieri. <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: I love Guy Fieri! Oh my
0: gosh. Uh, well, he's saying that because Columbus. I live in Columbus, Ohio, which is okay. Guy's um, hometown. And, oh, is it? Yes, and Columbus. Uh, he, there was a, a moment of reflection about renaming the city, mm-hmm. um, and so they were taking submissions, and Flavor Town was kind of number one. <gasps> Flavortown, Ohio, was was the there was a movement. He would probably movement. be
2: mad if that happened. Yeah, He's a yeah. pretty progressive guy. He would yeah. be like, "No, thank you."
0: Oh, oh Columbus is in it, Columbus is great. Parts of Ohio, yeah, I would see where that would be a problem. Columbus is interesting, anyway. All that is to say, <laughs> I love that connection, and and that tells us a little bit about how you grew up. So you grew up. Mm-hmm. Your dad was a pastor, and you were a basis for a punk rock band that would that was that was evangelizing. Mm -hmm.
2: the already saved (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's totally it um and we felt like we were fulfilling the call of jesus in our lives and it's so fascinating looking back on what it means to grow up in the belly of the beast you know the beast being like white evangelical u.s culture Mm. because i do have a lot of compassion for us and i do think like man we were really earnest we you know with the tools given to us we're like yeah we want to follow god and we Mm -hmm. want to have some fun doing it and we want to build community um the fishbowl this this you know concert place my parents started they were so proud of themselves like you know but it was a gathering spot it became a gathering spot in this like little strip mall in northern california where kids didn't have a lot to do um and so it was a community space so i i can like have compassion for all of that and yet it's also incredibly insular. It's such a misinterpretation of what Jesus asks his disciples and followers to do with their lives. Um, it, it, to me, it's such a cheapening of what it means to uh, understand what the good news is and what it means uh, to take Jesus seriously. So, you know, I have a lot of mixed feelings about it all. And I bet other people can relate when you grow up in a subculture and and you and you watch it change in some ways so in some ways we see the seeds of you know what makes white evangelicals make headlines in 2020 2021 it's all very negative stuff mostly mm-hmm. about the correlation between white evangelicals and republican politics um and, and all of that was there you know all of that was there in 1990s auburn california <laughs> and yet it's also okay to say things have accelerated and they have um mm-hmm continued on and and for people like myself it sounds so cliche but it does not feel cliche when you're like i'm actually just trying to take jesus seriously like like y'all wanted me to and um that has caused enormous amounts of conflict between me and my faith community yeah and so it's just like that's my life now is you know every day you have to wake up and be like oh like I want to follow God. I feel like I'm one of those people where I'm in this constant conversation with God like all the time. I don't like have a prayer time. I don't have a quiet time, but I, I wake up thinking about, you know, right now I wake up thinking about what's going on in Palestine, right? To me, that's connected to I want to be in community with the people God cares about. God cares about people who are marginalized and are suffering. Um, so Palestine is is on God's heart, right? So I wake up thinking, oh my gosh, what does God want me to learn about Palestine today? All this stuff. And then I also have to make this decision, like, I, I don't even know if I have the energy to even talk to Christians right now. So I feel like I'm <laughs> in this odd world. Like, all I do is think about God. Honestly, not all, but like, it's a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. And yet I I totally, at at this point, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of a sabbatical from being online. And mostly it's just because like, I I can't, in conversation with Christians right now. It's because it depresses the hell out of me, mm-hmm. uh, to be perfectly honest. So, well, we are yeah.
0: atheists, so you are in luck. Oh, law. so I feel
2: comfy now. <laughs> so, Thank you. Thank you.
0: No, but I, I really, I, I have a lot of respect because I, I grew up in that culture as well. Um, I was a youth pastor, with as with Tim, and we did, I, I don't think we called them lock-ins for crying out loud, but they were more like, let's do co-ed and split the kids and have the abstinence talk as oh, they right. as they're as they're sleeping in the same room um uh, totally time for helpful that. It really totally, is. yeah totally oh yeah but, <laughs> and so i do i have massive amounts of compassion for that but where was it for you um where was it that you began to wake up to the the where was the hollow and shallow version of this exposed like do you have specific memories of when you started waking up to the reality of oh this is this is a subculture. This isn't the thing.
2: Yeah, I, I do. And, and uh, so, my first book I wrote was called "Assimilate or Go Home: Notes from a Failed Missionary on Rediscovering Faith," and that was really the story of me wanting to be a missionary. So, you know, I grew mm. up in a in a sort of church culture where women couldn't be preachers, but they could be missionaries, right. and so the just super racist, that. Super totally, sensist, totally.
0: Um, you're, you're not good people, enough. You're not good enough to serve us. But the, uh, those people over there. white
2: dudes about yeah. God. But, yeah. you know, anyways, yeah. so that's just like, I'm a kind of intense lady. So I was like, okay, these are what intense Christian ladies do. They become missionaries. And, um, you know, I even went to Bible college to study that. And mm. uh, while I was going to Bible college here in Portland, I ended up, you know, working with recently arrived refugees from somalia just Hmm. as a way to practice you know before i like moved to russia and started an orphanage and saved the world whatever i I mean it's also so sad and and so laughable right um but i was 19 and i was like this is it i'm gonna practice and i remember showing the jesus film to this like apartment packed full of of people who had you know recently arrived from somalia and i even Mm -hmm. got the jesus film in somali Um, It actually wasn't their first language. Their first language wasn't even written down at that point. Uh, But they, you know, they watched it and then they were like, at the end, they're like, okay, Jesus is great, but he's not as great as Muhammad. Do you want to like stay and eat dinner with us? (laughs) And I was like, wait a minute, you are supposed to convert. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't convert, I'm supposed to move on to people who will. And I, Mm. well, so they didn't convert and I didn't want to move on. And I really felt God was like, yeah, don't move on. You just say, just stay and chill with them. And mm. that's what I've been doing <laughs> like the last 20 years of my life or more like 18 years is just hanging around with recently arrived refugees, immigrant communities, people who uh, are not making it in uh, the landscape of the American dream, people mm. who revealed to me, uh, you know, that Portland is a really hard place for people to live. Um, if mm. you're not just like me, you know, I'm a middle-class white, college-educated Christian Mm -hmm. person, right? Uh, And so being in relationship with refugees really brought two questions at the exact same time to my mind, which is, is America as good as I always have been told it's good? And is my religion good news for anybody who's not just like me? Oh, come on. Those are two big old questions to get served (laughs) on a platter when you're 19 years old and you're actually enrolled and paying a bunch of money to become a missionary. So... And all these crises, like I'm in these spaces when they would feed me food or I'm just hanging around my friends from other countries, like the communal nature of their cultures, the collectivist nature and all this. I was like, I really feel God, God here. I feel like I'm learning stuff. I feel like I'm bringing zero to the table because I don't know how to navigate these systems because it's always worked so well for me. Um, but then I couldn't go and tell anybody about everything I was feeling because I would have been called a failure and a heretic. And mm. so, um, you know, just living with that for a while is, is hard. And, and so now... You know, that's one of the reasons I wrote my book is just to say, I can't Mm -hmm. be the only one who has these, you know, who was raised in this culture that said, you're at the pinnacle of God's revelation to the world at 19 years old. You got it all figured out about God, how the world works, how the American economy works, like you go out there and you tell them. And then, you know, that turned out to not be true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So now I need to find people on my journey of being a human, of following God that, uh, are kind of with me on that journey of saying you're right you do not have it figured out but you get to be with other people and figure it out together and it's such a better way to live can i just yeah. tell you that i think
1: we can nominate ourselves for that category if you're yeah still collecting remnants of uh people who have broken it all down or building it back up
2: i just i just I don't know if you two want to speak to this at all, but sort of that um, American exceptionalism that is baked into uh, Christian supremacy, right? This idea that because of being born in the United States in the decades we were like, we really have all the doctrine figured out. We really have it all. Um, I feel like that's still something people don't want to discuss. Like they want to Mm. deconstruct a lot. But that's like a, a holy grail and I'm like, but y'all, that affects everything. That affects how you interact with your neighbors. that affects how you interact civically, that uh, impacts how you interact with politics. Um, but for some reason people think that it's just essential to be Christian is to say I've got it figured out and you must listen to me. Hmm. Anyway, you these think that,
0: do you think of. that that's part of the American? bit of it? Or do you think that's something baked into Christianity, even in its non-American forms?
2: Yeah, I I think like, obviously, there's a lot uh, uh, Well, for people like myself, the Bible college I went to, right? It's all European, you know, focused. Mm -hmm. And so obviously, colonialism and imperialism and sort of this supremacist thinking is baked into there. But that's not the story of Christianity Mm -hmm. as a whole. And so it's been really refreshing Uh, for me to you know take some steps back and look at these wider contexts the global context you know Catholicism is is so a part of all of our history even though you know American evangelicals don't ever want to talk about that but there's some of these things where you're like when you get to the root of it it's just a radical way of being in the world and loving your neighbor like Mm -hmm. that's amazing Mm -hmm. and then it turns into these other things when we align our faith with like uh the survival of our nation state right and the survival of our rights and our privileges in pluralized societies right that's really when this supremacist thinking comes into play also of course with america Supremacy has always been connected to God and to the exploitation of the land and to people in order to work the land um, and to build wealth for certain yeah. people. So, so there's so much there that I, I totally understand why people are like, "I'm done. I'm done, Zoe. I don't want anything to do with this." Um,
0: why aren't you, why Why didn't that happen to you?
2: Yeah, it's I don't know. I I truly don't know. It's just like when I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking about Palestine, I'm like this is not just coming from me. There is there is a creator God who's obsessed with creation and the people of the world. And I see glimpses of how it's supposed to be. And then when I read the words of Jesus, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's how it's supposed to be. And I'm like filled with this joy and this hope and this peace that is really anchored like the world is not okay, God's aware of that. Mm-hmm. And God is saying, it's not always going to be like this. And Mm. actually the people who suffer most on the earth right now, like they're going to be the ones who bring in the kingdom. They're going to be the ones who feast with me in the new creation. Right. And I'm like, that's why I'm a Christian, Mm. you know, it's, uh, that's, that keeps me going, man. Uh, when I can, when I can meditate on that.
0: So 19, you have these two big questions, nothing like refugees to kind of ruin your faith. Uh, and introduce you to a much realer version. a <laughs> really
2: good way, yeah, Yeah, that's what
0: I mean. Yes. <laughs> that, that, like to wreck the, the shallow, cliched, insular bit of that <laughs> and then go, oh, yeah, there's this whole world. And God's really fans of these people, too. So did you, did you give up Bible school at that, at that point? What, oh no, I,
2: I graduated and um I actually went back to Bible school and got my master's in teaching English to speakers of other languages. Again, like wow. you're supposed to do that and then like right. use that to convert people. But you know, that's been one practical thing to come out of my life is I, I still teach English to people, not, not with COVID, but um in, in my city of Portland, I, I, do English classes and Hmm. work with women. And I specialize in people who come from non-literate backgrounds based Mm. off of Mm. those experiences I had when I was 19. And it's really hard. Uh, and people, you know, there's not tons and tons of people in our world today who, who come from not non-literate backgrounds, but there are people and it's always out of extreme trauma and extreme poverty. And so, Mm. um, those are communities that I, I really feel passionate about and building community with, with them. So that's still my life. My neighbor's still, uh, Kind of poke holes in my my faith and my easy, comfortable faith uh, even to this day so it's mm. it's been wonderful to yeah. to have that gift
0: <laughs> totally and so the book book, like I just read, is the myth of the American Dream mm-hmm. and it's about a lot of the holes your neighbors are poking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how do you see so so I, I think more and more of us are becoming aware of the connection between the American dream and kind of the God religious part of that, that there's a manifest destiny to America that's God ordained in um, our security as Christians is wrapped up into our security is in the American nation state. As you've sort of opened uh, yourself to the stories and lives of people who aren't coming from there, how have you learned to sort of see the story we tell ourselves. What, what are the ways in which you see us lying to ourselves about, um, about how God sort of works in the world and, and the relationship between America and Jesus following?
2: This is such a big question. And I think...
0: You're a very for- smart person.
2: I'm so like, it, yes. t- it took me a whole book of just rambling to try <laughs> to answer it. And that's just the beginning of me trying to answer that question. And yeah. and I really hope to find other people who are on this journey and are like, you know, this is going to be a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think again and again, we're all going to have to deal with this, um, this, this lie that's at the root of like every prosperity gospel, which is... Um, If you're doing it right, if you're following God right, you will be Mm. blessed. And when we say blessed, we mean like materially, financially, relationally, socially, politically, Mm. you know, all that stuff.
0: Yeah. The
2: thing is, you guys can correct me here and jump in. I just don't see that anywhere. (laughs) in the life and work of Jesus Christ <laughs> 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 or his followers. If we want to get really depressing about it, you, you know what I mean? Like, especially mm. in the new Testament, I do not think they were blessed with any of those things. And in fact, their lives sucked. Yeah. And so I feel like just right there, you know, we have it. Um, I'm, I'm working on a book right now about Dorothy day, who started the Catholic mm-hmm. worker movement in New York, you know, in the nineteen thirties and she was just like, I like this is not working. This is not working. You know, She's she really came of faith when the Great Depression was happening mm. and um she just saw the utter failure of America, you know, to mm. to take care of its people. I think like twenty five percent of the population was unemployed, right? Mm. And just she was like, What what does God have to say about this? And for one, she was like, God is like this is not okay. I don't want people to be exploited, oppressed, go hungry, not have shelter. Like I was very clear in Matthew, tw- you know, 25. Like if somebody doesn't have water, you give them water. Somebody doesn't have clothes. You give them clothes, like mm-hmm. take care of them when they're sick. She's like, uh, Christian should be doing this. Mm-hmm. She's like, and we should not accept the world as it is. Like, that's a fundamental part to be a Christian. We that's do not. That's a great we, line. Yeah, we do not accept this filthy, rotten system. You know, she was very famous for saying that.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, what's sad is like a lot of Christians do. And that's the second thing we have to ask ourselves. Like, well, why mm-hmm. are we okay? How how are we enculturated to say this is how the world works? This is how it is. Um, is that's that because it's question. working for us?
0: That's right. You know?
2: Yeah. Uh, So that's a really depressing question for me personally, because (laughs) the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. This unequal and unjust system I live in works very well for me and it works Mm -hmm. very well for my faith community. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's so much like grief and sadness, like tied up into that one sentence I just said, you know, I'm still in there. I'm still in that. Um, And Like I said, it's going to be a lifelong journey of, of unpacking that. What does it mean? You know, I, I, this is a question I ask myself a lot, like in the, in the, in the gospels, when they talk about the good news, like not everybody responded to Jesus as if he was saying good news. Some people did. And it's really cool to study those people. Mm -hmm. Some people did not. And, um, good news can feel like bad news to people who benefit off of injustice, and uh, I think we've seen that a lot with uh, white evangelicals in particular. Just a lot of stuff is bad news to them. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, it doesn't feel like bad news to me. so I'm sorry I'm just rambling guys. No, you're not rambling. <laughs> jump, at jump no. in here.
0: <laughs> no we, we... no we're interviewing you. We want your thoughts. We don't we know what <laughs> what nonsense we're thinking. Um, no, you're the interesting one. i I um, I really resonate. Uh, with, with the the word grief that you just used and and even before we were recording um you had used that word um wh- what's the grief like i i can under i can understand anger completely mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or apathy um but grief is such an interesting word what's that mean to you to be grieving this
2: yeah, I think it's a hard emotion to unpack. The, for me, uh, you know, primary emotions are like fear and shame and mm-hmm. joy. So I wonder if part of my grief is is connected to fear, right? Like we got it so wrong. Am mm-hmm. I? Do I have any hope of ever getting this right? I don't know if you guys relate to that as far as the mm-hmm. faith journey, right? When people are so sure. This is what the Bible says. It's so crystal clear that God told me to do this and God told me to do that. And now I'm like, I don't know if I believe any of that. And so there's obviously some fear there. Like, will I ever have it right? Will I ever, you know, be as sure as I was when I was 13 years old in a punk rock band? You know, that that certainty was pretty nice for uh, your perception of yourself and your Mm -hmm. role in the world. All that is pretty awesome. So I think some of my grief is is tied to this fear of like I'm never going to have that again. I'm never mm. going to have that certainty. I'm never going to have that like ironclad. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I can feel satisfied with my life and the work I've done. You know. So I think some of that's fear. Yeah. The other part is probably connected to shame and mm. um, just mm. like as much as I would love to walk away and be like I'm an ex-evangelical, all that. It's like how can you walk away from what you are, your heritage, your community, your background. I feel a personal responsibility, you know, to continue to engage with my community. Um, Hmm. but there's a lot of, of shame that comes into sort of dealing, uh, with, with wide open eyes to, uh, your past and, and your community. And, and of course, you know, for many people, I'm sure this is also similar Is like, you're still in relationship with people. You have family members, you have parents, you have all of that who are part of these worlds. And, um, Therefore, you're kind of like constantly being plunged back into that situation, into these conversations. And you just end up feeling I guess people talk about gaslighting a lot, but it it just is really hard when you're like talking about the same God and the same religion. And yet, like none of it is we're not on the same page on any of it. And in fact, Mm. I tried because I'm working on this book. I'm at home with my kids all the time. I tried to go to this Christian retreat center last weekend, and I was—I knew I shouldn't have done it. I was <laughs> out in the middle of Nowheresville. It sounded very so peaceful. Proud and and lock in <laughs> for adults. It was like twenty-five bucks a night, so I was like, "I can do this." Well, I get there, and I thought it was just going to be like very secu- secluded, but they were hosting all these church Bible studies and all these groups. So there's oh, all these people everywhere. I'm the only one wearing a mask. Oh. They kept being like. Oh, you know, you have such pretty eyes. We, we'd really like to see your whole face. You know, wouldn't you like to take <laughs> off your mask? I was like, no. And and like they're just playing worship songs all the time. They had all these banners being like, our God is a mighty God. And and I just like, I was there for one hour, and I was like, I have to run away. I have to leave this space. Like everything about this space. Even though I'm a Christian, I'm I'm fine with singing some songs to God sometimes. Like, I want to be in nature. I would like to be around people in a safe way. That also are Christians but like everything about it was this like we don't do masks COVID is a hoax our God's a mighty God and is going to prevail like we're going to sing these songs to be like God is with us you know no matter what and I'm like what is all of this for like this Mm -hmm. retreat center has been going on for years like every inch of these grounds are just soaked in prayer is how Mm -hmm. they would say it you know they have a prayer (laughs) chapel like I'm also there to pray and yet it's about very different things than what they're praying for. And so I freaked mm-hmm. out. I freaked out and I was supposed to be gone for like two nights and I just came home and my husband's like, hi, where, what? <laughs> and I was like, I, I just, oh, wow. we're, we're, are, are we the same or aren't we? That's a question I just don't know how to answer. Mm. How do you guys deal with that?
1: I think what you just said is interesting because you said the three primary emotions, fear, shame and shame. joy right
2: is that true maybe well, i'm just talking it out of my butt
1: no but i think it makes perfect sense the two that you just the tension with fear and shame are obvious right like mm-hmm. the way we wrestle with those emotions but throwing joy into that too with grief i think is what really makes grief because fear and shame i think are easy to categorize but but like the disconnect from what you what you know should be joyful or has been or what you know what I mean? Like there's Mm. a there's an actual like that feels like that kind of ties that whole idea of grief together. It's like like you're saying earlier, like you read the gospels and you can see what Jesus is trying to accomplish or you can see what God's narrative is overall and you can see the joy that's embedded within that. The idea of it, right? The thing that kind of keeps you locked into it being unable to fully grasp that and deal with fame fame that's fear and shame together there we like, go uh, oh that's profound yeah. oh my gosh a whole new thing. Um, but that makes sense for a whole like encompassed grief because grief is always kind of analogy like it it's like an amoeba right like it, it doesn't have defined borders to it so i think that's why it's mm-hmm. always it can always be hard to wrestle with it because it kind of is is weirdly flexible so the joy actually kind of throws a weird i think it gives it some meat for how how kind of daunting that can feel like knowing joy not being able to access joy necessarily or when you go to the community that you want to have joy with experiencing fear and shame Mm -hmm. it's just a really weird like it's a very weird interchange that makes sense with what grief feels like which i think is what a lot of people do feel
2: such a good point even as Talking about our past and and being in youth group and stuff, yeah, like we—that's how we learn to connect to God is through joyful singing and through being in joyful community with each other. And so, um, I think you're totally onto something that that I've never thought because I've had to change the ways. Right? I try and find joy in my faith. Uh, the the pandemic is a part of that, but also mm-hmm. the you know, Christian na- nationalism becoming so prominent. You know, has has obviously changed the ways. We have to do that. And so for me, again, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about looking into some like Catholic traditions, all these things like ways to find joy and centeredness and belonging that, um, you know, aren't the same as the ways I was taught. And it's hard. It's hard to relearn new ways to connect. Um, And the joy feels really different. Maybe it's also just being middle aged. (laughs) (laughs) joy joy the joy of the lord feels a little different and um
0: a lot more quiet and introverted probably
2: and embodied like it it has to be embodied and i mean that both in my physical body but i also mean that about being connected to cities where we live it's connected Mm. to are my are my neighbors flourishing if my neighbors aren't flourishing i i cannot experience the fullness of joy and that makes me a really bad Christian to some people. Mm. Um, but that's just always in the back of my mind. Like, and I'm sorry, I think God gave that to me. I think God gave me that dream to say, we aren't ever fully going to be at peace or at rest until everyone's flourishing. And, you know, for some Christians, that's like heresy. It's like, you got to praise God, even in the midst of all the bad things. I'm like, well, then, then your God sounds like a really mean person. Like <laughs> God should be able to understand that we're not super happy when terrible things happen. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe that's just me.
0: And well, and it seems like there are large segments of the Bible that are given to the complaints, uh, the laments of God's people about the state of the world. And yeah, not oh, a lot. Of,
2: yeah, we just don't tend to read them a lot. No, uh, I don't know if you all ever preach from the Book of Lamentations in your youth groups or your, <laughs> you know, in your churches. But uh, yeah, I mean, it is. You, you know you had mentioned my book the myth of the american dream sometimes reads like a lament and that's totally true i, mm-hmm. I think lament is a huge part of my life and i, I also think the scriptures kind of show us like uh you know the, the they say like the rocks and trees will will cry out and praise to god like if nobody else does but they also will do it in lament and so mm-hmm. i feel like coming from my culture of white evangelicals like we 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 weren't lamenting any of the things i was like we need to be lamenting the housing crisis in portland oregon right like we need to be lamenting uh the muslim travel ban like that is actively keeping families from being connected to each other we need to lament the end of the refugee resettlement program which you know this we're still really grappling with those effects and and so some of it just kind of just seemed to burst force forth from me, but then you know, finding all these amazing people from, you know, Latinx and the Black Church and Asian Americans who are like, yes, this should be a part of your Christianity. Mm. And something's wrong if you're not. And you know, like thirty percent of the Psalms are Lament Psalms. Like I mm-hmm. did not know that because we did yeah. not memorize those ones. Totally. Uh, or sing those songs in, in our churches. And and that's that's really a spiritual formation issue that I, I need to catch up on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, we're great with cliches and casseroles. Not so great with deep, <laughs> deep... Um, that's a good book title.
2: I love casseroles. Oh, Criceties no. Hey. Okay, that's my heritage. Hey. And that's one thing I would like to reclaim. I'm
0: in. I, I'm <laughs> yeah. in for casseroles. It, but <laughs> clearly, I've had my share of casseroles. I, um, I just mean like that's all we have to say yeah. when it comes to grieving. We just it's have sad you know, because we
2: think God will not love us if we're honest. I mean, totally. that's the root of it, right? Yeah. Like, thank goodness we actually have the scriptures where they were very, yeah. intense to God, and they were like, "We trust God that you can handle the full range of human emotions which you gave to us." So here you go. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah.
0: That's exactly right, and so you're. Yes, I mean, I think your book really reads like a lament of I. Oh, I didn't think of this, and then these, and you're receiving the other as a gift rather than as, as something to be afraid of, which goes you know so against the narratives today. Um,
2: and yet, yeah, is a vital part of Christianity. Oh, you know?
0: from the yeah. I, I'm reading a book called "The Saved by Faith and Hospitality."
2: Oh, that's and interesting. it
0: is yes, yeah, it's incredible, and its argument is hospitality is the central practice of the church.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And 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 was in Jesus, is in Paul's formation of churches and is in the way Paul conceives of how churches should function. Um, hospitality to the other. Right. Which, you know, we we can just all go, <laughs> yeah, well, we we have lost that plot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But you're on to something in terms of um that seeing the other first and foremost as gift, not threat. Um uh, that is something so woven into the fabric of American culture in its and baptized then by the religious establishment that you know I can see where people would be threatened by that uh, practice
1: yeah.
0: um, it is very threatening when you realize hmm, you know it's like the disciples who they see someone who's not one of them casting out demons and they run to Jesus and they're like, hey dude, these other people who aren't us. Are casting out demons and you can just imagine Jesus going ah, if they're not against us they're with us you know what mm-hmm. I mean and you know so often I've been taught to take the hey they're not one of us so they must not be one of us so um, anyway this is really really helpful um, one last thing before we let you go where do you see where do you see little embryonic pieces of hope? Um, you know, what is it that when you wake up, you're thinking through Palestine or, uh, you know, any of the, I mean, any of the incredibly heavy issues that we've talked about, where do you see, where, where do you see like embers that you'd go? Yeah, yeah that we can flame that one into something. Where do you, where do you see signs of hope in the midst of all this?
2: Yeah, that's a, so that's a really hard question for me, but I think it it speaks to like the spiritual practices I need to continue on. And then one is to cultivate hope and, and gratitude that is based in, you know, being in the world and not closing myself off to the pain of it. And so I mm-hmm. need to spend more time with that question. I, right now for me personally, I'll just do an individual answer first. I am finding hope in this idea that I'm not going to get this right and I have a lifetime of trying and getting it wrong and trusting in the Holy Spirit and my community to say, hey, you know, let's let's rethink that. Like I'm I'm dabbling in some local politics stuff. And I thought I would just be really easy and just a way to learn about it. it's like very fraught, very contentious, like school board drama and all you know these meetings are taking up my life right now and i'm just like you know for a while there i was like everything will change when we do local elections and we get all progressives in in local office and you know let's change that way now i'm like i don't know this is really complicated really complex so it's okay to just say this is not the way to fix the problems Mm. like Mm. you know we always have this desire to say like here's how we fix it and i coming from like a a white people background it's like you know we we just have this tendency to be like oh my gosh there's racism in america like we're gonna fix it now that we know about it it's like oh my gosh like that is absolutely not the right answer um but for me i just find a lot of hope even going back to what you know biblical story you were just sharing about jesus saying like if they're not against us they're with us you know one of the things i think about with the miracles and with jesus you know casting demons out of people and healing people who are sick is because and some of these cultures right if you're demon possessed you're really on the outskirts of society then right like nobody wants to be in a relationship with you nobody wants to be in community with you and so to be released from demons is to be you know said you're now able to enter back into community back into society and and so for me i'm thinking who are the people in my city that are doing the work of repairing and building up communities specifically in places where people have been, you know, systematically disenfranchised and marginalized, like who are the people doing that work? How can I just go and partner with them? And so for mm-hmm. me being in Portland, you know, there's been so many protests over the past year and and all that stuff. And, and I've really enjoyed getting to know, uh, grassroots organizations and mutual aid organizations and, and and all these people who are very much not people of faith and saying like, dude, they're, they're doing the work and uh, I need to learn from them. And so I find a lot of hope in uh, the younger crew and Mm. all that they have to teach (laughs) us. And I also find a lot of hope in being like, I'm going to get older and I, I will have the chance to interrogate myself and we can, we can learn from our, You know, maybe even people we love a lot who are in our life, our parents, whatever, and and see some of the limitations they have as far as being able to interrogate and and change and say, you know, I don't have Mm -hmm. to choose to be like that. I can choose to find this liberating. and It is liberating. Thank goodness we believe in a God who uh, when we repent and confess, you know, we're invited into relationship and and to try again. You know, Mm -hmm. It's, it's actually kind of exciting.
0: Mm hmm. Excellent. Thank you. I got
2: all Christian-y. Thank you guys for wow. giving me a chance to be all christian
0: <laughs> Well, or you've been Christiany the whole time.
2: I'm very Christian. It's hard. It's hard to reconcile with how mad I am at Christians all the time. Oh,
0: no, but that's the beauty. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Um, so, yes, we want people to encourage – we want to encourage people to check out your work, The Myth of the American Dream, Reflections on Effluence, Autonomy, Safety, and Power – um, and then, and then I, I don't see you on Twitter much. Are you on Instagram more these days or I'm, I'm sort of a taking a
2: break from both? Uh, I will be back eventually. Uh, but it's, I'm taking a break right now to work on my book. And then I just want to take a few months and, you yeah. know, I've been a, like an online Christian for 10 years. So it's like, oh, I want, I want to be an offline Christian for a little bit, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I love it too much to be away for forever. So yeah. I won't be away yeah
0: before. So if you're if you're trying to find her, it's DL. DL um,
2: Mayfield, yeah.
0: Yes. Do you have a website or anything? I or? do have
2: a website and my email's on there, so you know Perfect. people can still get. Yeah.
0: Me. All right. Fantastic. We encourage you to check that out. Thank you so much for your time today, Tim. Last thoughts.
1: Last thoughts. Here's my last thoughts. I was thinking about what you were saying about being a young Christian punk rocker and the goals that you had for that. I, could, I would say that you could make a pretty good argument that you are now like an actual Christian punk rocker. Like with the stuff that you're like doing and involved in and kind of digging into the culture and pushing back and picking at things and uh, fighting for those who have been marginalized and pushed to the side and stuff. I think that's kind of a big punk rock ethic. So it's almost like a, not. A, you can't say it's a full circle because I don't think that you felt that you were embodying that in the, in the first and at the lock-in as we all were, <laughs> but I think there's a really, you know, we had Shane Claiborne on a cup, like two weeks ago and he's, I think he embodies a lot of the same ethic of like just getting in there, like getting your hands dirty, getting dirt under your nails and stuff. So I think oh that's my gosh. cool.
2: I'm a punk rocker. That's amazing. I will say the older I get, the more I'm like anarchist have a lot to teach <laughs> christians they do and uh you know i i hope to to be open to all that stuff more and more. anarchy and
1: awesome. the what is it pnw
2: there we go. Antifa. I'm I'm proud to be anti-fascist. <laughs> <laughs> Although I live on the outskirts of, of Portland in this, basically the city called Gresham. And if you drive like 20 minutes away, there's a little town called Sandy. And right now, the town of Sandy has a big old banner as you drive into it that says Antifa not welcome here. It's like, man, Oregon is just wild right now. It's just, I it's can't
0: just imagine. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, thanks <laughs> again wild for West. your time. We really, really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. Bye.
0: Bye.
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxpodcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash vox podcast on Instagram at Foxpodcast, podcast and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.